On today's Locked On Guardians, we're going to talk coaches that are leaving, players coming back, draft picks being assigned, and so much more. This is a jam-packed episode. Make sure you stay tuned for all of it on today's Locked On Guardians. You are Locked On Guardians, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Guardians, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lockdown Guardians. Today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. I want to thank you for making Lockdown Guardians your first listen today and every day, wherever it is that you may get podcasts. For me, that's Pocket Casts. As I saw Scott Ross tweeted us with his wraparound. Uh, make sure you're sending us those. I am retweeting and commenting on all of them. It is fun to see. I am Jeff Ellis, uh, noted cat owner. Noted interrupter and noted coffer, Justin. Oh gosh, I'm not famous for anything. I'm boring and and simple and um, yeah. That, let's let's just leave it at that. I'm boring and simple, and we've got so much to talk about today. I don't want to sit here and talk about myself. I want to talk about. You would think that it's it's December first, and the winter meetings haven't started. You would think, gosh, what are we going to talk about? And I feel like there are days where, like, what are we going to talk about? And, and then we go today, for 50 minutes. Well, we go 50 minutes and then we're talking after. And then, but on things like today, there's a lot of different little news items that happen. We're like, okay, we have a lot to talk about. So let's just move on into it. Yeah. For those who, who talk about like in the longer show, like if we just sat down and turned the mics on from the minute we started talking, these would be like two hour shows almost every night. It feels like, mm-hmm. um, it would be. but I do want to say, so we've had some comments on here about everyone loves the longer show, but the setup at Locked On is they want a 30-minute podcast, but our video can go longer. So we are going to be doing a better job of keeping the podcast at 30 minutes. And if you want the bonus content, it's free. It's not really bonus content, but the additional content beyond that 30, we're going to be having at the end of the show. So we're going to be good about setting things up and maybe being like, okay, we're going to discuss this at the end. So if you want to get an extra 10 to 20 minutes, go to YouTube. We are currently sitting at 968 subscribers, 969, actually. I just did a refresh. Well on our way to 1,000. If you want to help us get over that, we greatly, greatly appreciate it. 31 away. You can be part of it. Uh, Let's start off with some draft talk. First off, the Seattle Mariners own this year's draft. That's the first thing to comment on. Uh, The Seattle Mariners getting a comp pick for, uh, well, not a comp pick. They get a reward pick for Julio Rodriguez being up at the start of the year and winning the uh, rookie of the year. Then they get the number one competitive or uh, yeah, the competitive balance a pick. And with the Mets and Dodgers both set to drop 10 places due to their payrolls, all of a sudden picks that should have been 31 and 32 are going to be picks uh, 29 and 30, as well as having the 22nd pick. It is interesting in past. Uh, it used to be, it was just your comp. These competitive balance picks were reverse order of the standings. That's not the case. Uh, the Guardians last year had a round A, a comp. You know, that's where they took Justin Campbell at the end of between the first and uh, second round. This year, they get the first pick in comp round B. So they're going to have a high pick at, you know, the, the first pick after the end of the second round. Now, what's interesting about this is that pick is essentially a second round pick because the by the Angels signing Tyler Anderson, they give up their second round pick. So that pick moves up one spot. It'd be the equivalent now of what was the last pick in the second round. 
And all of the comp picks this year that occur based on everyone who has left would all happen after competitive balance B. So Swanson, Contreras, Turner, Rondon, Bassett, DeGrom, Nimmo, Bogarts, Evaldi, Judge. All of those guys sign. All those picks, um, Rondon, make sure I say the right ones. Rondon, Swanson, and Contreras, those picks would happen after comp B. So after Cleveland's uh, third pick. So every time one of those guys signs, teams are going to be losing that second rounder and Cleveland's comp B and their own second are just going to keep scooching up. So, so they have a chance for to all these guys to sign yeah. other teams. Yes. Root for all of them to go to other squads. Cause that's like what one, two, everyone loves counting on air. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten. 10. So Cleveland could move up 10 spots or a total of 11 spots with their own second rounder and with their own. Um, so they pick 24th in the second round. Uh, that could get up to the equivalent of the 13th pick in the second round. And uh they could, yeah, the comp B pick would move up into like where their, um, where their second round was supposed to be. And, and if you heard that vibration, that was a confirmation that, uh, by the way, fun fact, in a matter of two weeks, we're going to have someone who might be playing for the Guardians next year. I would bet on it appearing on this very podcast. That's what we call a tease, folks. But I, you know, it's a, it's a good draft. It's, so far, we'll see, you know, if we can get beyond that, but it is a fun, interesting draft. Cleveland has been built via the draft and uh, yeah, this was just announced today. So I wanted to cover that in terms of a few other minor notes of the day. Uh, do you want to handle the Anthony ghosts? Uh, the roster? We can. I got one. Yes. We got one quick question. I got one quick question for you. I was yes. unplanned. Um, should Cleveland consider having Bo Naylor on the opening day roster? Or if there's another player you would think of um, in order to have a chance at that draft pick next year. No, uh, there's because, no, and there's no other player besides Naylor. If it's not Naylor, um, no, no, not for me. I don't think so. Because here's the thing: at the end of the day, as much as it's nice to get that pick, and normally you know that pick is going to be more like in the 30s, a pick in the 30s is less valuable than a um, productive player, a full year of a productive player in their prime. And the risk is. If, if like, let's say somehow Bo Naylor is only up for four months out of the year, whatever, three months, mm. or I don't think he'll win the rookie of the year in three months, but let's just say he does. He gets the full year of service time anyway, because he wasn't up. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, I'm just, I'm just throwing, being yeah. able to get thrown that out. Yeah. No, um, I just, it's, it's never, I don't think the draft pick is really that big of an incentive. I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's enough incentive for teams because if you manipulate it, you get an extra year of team control, you drive down costs and you're getting a draft pick in the thirties. It's not that big of a reward. I don't know. I feel like the Mariners may not very good here because they made a big swing trade to get Luis Castillo. They're yeah. going to have a chance to replenish their farm system in a big way. Cause not only do you get the picks, you get the money associated with it. Yeah. And obviously it's all draft pick depend on, yeah. on the, the strength of the draft class, but I'm just saying, but like, like only said, one they, of those is the draft. Yeah, but only one of those is due to that. They'd still be in position to control the draft based on just their competitive balance pick and where their first round is anyways. Like that certainly helps, yeah. but like and again, I I don't think you're counting on that pick being that high most years. Um but yeah, I I just a draft pick is is still one of those things we have seen the we have seen a comp A pick used to save 3 million dollars in the last 10 years. Like they're not 
that draft pick has been shown, those comp picks have been shown to be kind of minim, minimal for value. They're not something the teams tend to covet. Actually, I'm going to say we come back and talk about ghosts in segment two. We're going to first take our first break here, and then we will come back and talk about ghosts, talk about pitching, uh, pitching, talk about coaching changes all on today's Lockdown Guardians. First, we got to talk about a fantastic sponsor, and that fantastic sponsor are our good friends over at Bet Online. You know them, you love them. They are our most consistent sponsor, a Rushmore sponsor, as I like to say. Not quite the GOAT. That's still built bar for me, but they are close. They are gaining on the GOAT. I'll put it that way. They're the baby GOAT. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional sport and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, they've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, which you obviously do, you'll find those at BetOnline as well. They're the always the easiest and fastest way to get your betting fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online, where the game starts. Uh, yeah, go check out our good friends over at Bet Online. If you're on YouTube, you can see Fancy Dancy, little, uh, that's not a word, that's not a phrase, but uh, we got a nice little uh, overlay here. And again, they have been very good to us over the years. They've been a consistently strong sponsor almost two years now with bet online. So I just want to give them thanks for supporting this show. Go check out betonline.net for yourself. Anthony ghost. Anthony ghost is back on a mile league deal. If you haven't seen it, it's a two year mile league deal, which I will admit that is the first time I have ever heard of a player signing a two year minor league deal. I knew any contract ghost got was going to be a minor league deal. If it was with Cleveland, I suppose some other team could have gave him a major league deal and, Stash on the 60, but they weren't going to, that would have, he would have had to wait for that to happen. And, uh, cause nobody was going to want to take up a roster spot, but, um, yeah. So he's got a two year minor league deal. He'll be out pretty much all of 2023 with Tommy John, but he'll have a chance to come back in 2024 and be part of the bullpen. So that's good. I, I had a feeling, I think a lot of people felt that there was a good chance he came back on a minor league deal. I just didn't realize, uh, teams, had two year two year uh minor league deal so learn something new every day yeah uh but it makes sense for both sides because he's what he is 32 he's gonna be 33 and he wouldn't be back till age 34 so he gets some flex you know he gets he's gonna make some money this year you know he'll probably get what close to a hundred thousand while he's rehabbing something like that somebody to help him with the rehab which is important and they'll cover the cost of it uh through the you know the the insurance plan which you know could be worth more than his salary when you're looking at the cost yeah. and rehab after a major surgery with uh, the way uh, medical stuff is. So, yeah, I mean, they're doing him a solid. And by doing him a solid, they're also holding on to an explosive left-handed arm. I don't know if he's going to be good enough to stick. I think he would have, even if healthy, been borderline. But I think it's a smart move by all sides. And it's a kind move, too. Like Honestly, it is yeah. a kind move by the Guardians. You hear so many stories of teams cutting guys like the day after surgery because the team's got to clear a 40-man spot or this or that. There's a few of those stories this year, and uh, it's a kind move by an organization. So kudos to the Guardians. Uh, Well, they might have brought him back. They lost a pair of coaches. You know coaching in this system better than I, so I'm going to kind of take my back seat, kick my feet up, and say, take over, Justin. Yeah, I mean, nothing too in-depth about the coaches. Brian Sweeney. Uh, I didn't realize this. Brian Sweeney was an outside hire. He was with the coach with the Phillies before he get, came to Cleveland. He was their bullpen coach. Also, a uh, great story from Zach Meisel from The Athletic. He is also a volunteer firefighter 
um, outside of his baseball coaching career. So Cleveland loses a good one there. Um, a lot of people seem to think that he was a very good communicator. He was able to, um, you know, talk to guys about pitching both in, I don't know, I want to say, I hate, I hate saying old school, new school, but in more traditional methods. And he's also able to translate the data for guys as well. So when you have a guy who's really good at communicating um, more traditional pitching methods and advice and um, other coaching areas and also able to kind of make any sort of data that might be helpful to a player digestible in a way that they can use it for improvement, um, those guys are really valued right now. So Sweeney will be the pitching coach for the the Royals and my goodness, do the Royals need that after the stories we saw this year? So not only not only does Cleveland lose a good pitching mind, uh, some of people thought that that Brian Sweeney could have replaced Carl Willis eventually. Um, although they have like Joe Torres and some other guys in the dugout too who would have been up for that job that, whenever Carl Willis decided. But so I'm going to break my rule. Is that three years in a row they've lost a coach to go become a, a pitching coach elsewhere? Because well, there was Blake, Niebla and. Correct. And You're right. Sweeney, right? Yep, that's three years in a row. Blake was never in the dugout for Cleveland. He was up in the – he was the pitching coordinator. And Niebla was, yeah, an assistant pitching coach. And then, yeah, now Sweeney. So, yeah. I, no, I mean, no shock, right? Everyone's picking off Cleveland's pitching minds because Cleveland has built one of the best pitching factories in the game. I, I, from, I would assume – I'd have to, like, really do a study on this. But if you were to ask me off the top of my head – who loses the most coaches or front office members every offseason to promotions to other other organizations? Hands down, it's got to be Cleveland. Cleveland, Cleveland or Tampa Bay, they continually continually lose coaching and, and front office people to other teams. So um, it's, it's a sign of a healthy organization, too, that you have a lot of guys that even when you lose guys, the guys that replace those guys are still good enough to get jobs elsewhere. So. Best of luck to Brian Sweeney, and uh, it's a gut punch because you lose a good mind, and Kansas City also gets him, and Kansas City needs pitching development, so if he helps them the way people think he can, then Kansas City, Kansas City's pitching is going to improve, and that will hurt Cleveland, so that's a good hire for them. I saw a tweet today from uh, one, I think he's like a semi-retired Kansas City beat writer, um, maybe it was he said that John Sherman was very involved with the coaching hires, like down to Pedro or no, who was, uh, there was somebody else they hired. I think who was, who took over as Royals manager. I uh, Pedro is the one who went to the white Sox, right? So the Royals yeah. manager, uh, Kataro wasn't in, in okay. Kataro had been in Cleveland, right? Too. Had yeah. He? Yeah. I, I don't think John Sherman was in Cleveland at the time. Kataro was here because he, um, he left for the, the race pretty quickly after he made his uh, coaching debut, but it sounded like John Sherman's very involved with some of these hires. So no doubt he would want to pluck some guys he's familiar with from Cleveland. And the other one, this one is more of a surprise, not because I don't think he's a good coach. Just, just to you know, interrupt you, everyone's favorite yeah. thing I do. They, Kataro and Sherman did overlap. Oh, because okay. uh, Kataro uh, was 2014 to 2017. Sherman became a partner in 2016. Okay, so they did overlap. So yeah, yes. he, he's he, Sherman's been involved with some of the hirings in Kansas City. So he uh, is targeting Cleveland guys. Don't be surprised if hey, if JJ Piccolo doesn't work out. Just saying, we we both think that was a weird hire and or weird promotion anyway. So um, and they're not going to get the guy James Harris. City. Come on down. Yeah, Harris up for the Cubs was up for the, one of the Cubs roles last year. So he'll he'll be there eventually too. Great guy, James Harris, by the way. Um, 
Justin Tool was hired by the um, Mariners as their director of player development. Kind of didn't see that one coming quite quite yet. The the Sweeney one kind of felt about right. And then again, that's not to say Tool isn't a good coach, but um, I know a little bit less about him as a coach and more about him as a player because I saw him play in the minors when he was an Indians prospect. Um, Nine. Or, Nine. Not, yeah, nine, the nine and nine game. Yeah, he played famously played all nine positions in, in one game when he was a Carolina Mudcat. And then and wrote a book on it. He did write a book on it, yeah. Um, he was the Guardians hitting analyst and their, one of their assistant coaches. So he very is positive often, reports. Yeah. Correct. Very positive reports. He's going to run the Mariners player development system now. So that's a huge promotion going from. Um, a hitting assistant hitting coach and analyst all the way into the director of player development. That's a big promotion. He's only 36, by the way. So um, sounds like he has a big future ahead of him. If that's a, that's where he's already going. So that's your coaching update. Wouldn't be surprised if that is not the last time we have to say that Cleveland has lost a coach. No, this is, uh, or a front I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know who's going to take over as the GM in Houston. Cause uh, their owner did say he'd like to have a GM in place sometime after the winter meetings or start of the new year or before the season. I don't know. I don't know if it'll be someone from Cleveland. I'm just saying, you know, don't think it'll be the last time we bring this up. No, it, it reminds me a lot of the Mets situation. Like uh, it feels like right now, anyone they get is a temporary hold. And that next off season is going to be the bidding war on Stearns between the Mets and the Astros. That's my general feel. Like I, it's, it's going to be a puppet for crane for a year. And then he's going to try to get Stearns. That's, so no Cleveland front office guy would ever consider that because no. they know better. You don't yeah. want to get involved. Like that's why, you know, Chernoff had no interest in going to the Mets. Like there are, you know, those situations, you don't want to work for those owners. Yeah. Um, why don't we take our next break right now? And then we will come back uh, and discuss, we're going to talk about Gaylord Perry. Uh, we, I did a lot of research <laughs> today, so we're going to, we're going to take some time and have some fun. There's some really interesting dovetailing throughout his story with just a lot of things in Cleveland uh, history during that era. Um, then we're post segment. We're going to talk a little bit of relievers, guys who have come up of note in terms of the rule five. So those are the next two things that are going to occur. So you got Gaylord Perry, one of the great pitchers of the last, uh, what, 50 years for this team. I think maybe 60 years for this team. And then, some Rule 5 chatter all on today's Locked on Guardians. But first, a quick word from some fantastic sponsors who help this show grow. Hey, we're back. Uh, as a quick show update, if I hit refresh, we are now at 970. I feel like I'm on a telethon. 971. 29 away from 1,000. You could be 1,000. Get on it. We should have been live streaming this. This is my fault. Oh, I didn't think to yeah. do that. We should um, we'll live stream when we get close to one thousand. How about 1, that? We're, we're like gonna start lives, yeah. Which yeah, might happen tonight. <laughs> that might be while yeah. we're like cutting and editing tonight. We might do a quick live stream uh, <clears throat> as we get close. Um, okay, Gaylord Perry. Uh, since I did, we can't talk about you. Have I, I don't want this to come off like me being a terrible person or anything. Uh, I, I put in a, a lot of research. I have way too much information. You have more of a specific set of information. So why don't you lead off and then I'll tag in. Yeah. Well, for those who maybe are living under a rock, which I don't, I think anybody listening to this probably would have heard the news, but Gaylord Perry passed away on December 1st at the age of 84. Um, 
only thing I really knew about Gaylord Perry, I mean, I knew who he was, and I knew he pitched for Cleveland, obviously, in the 70s. Um, but the the one thing I always heard about growing up, because it was talked about just a ton, was he was the last Cy Young Award winner for Cleveland uh, before CC Sabathian, obviously, was famous for the the spitter, the spit, the spitball, right? Yeah, he's James Karinchak's favorite pitcher. I'm kidding. <laughs> and take it away from there, because that's that's where I'm. That was a great. That was a great segue, because that's a great joke, and and I uh, uh, didn't. Well, for, don't know anything else. Well, first off, I just want to talk about the fact that, like, a he won that Cy Young for Cleveland at the age of 33. He would go on at the age of 39 to win another one for the Padres, and he would pitch till age 44. Uh, 22 years in the pig leagues, which is rather amazing. That Cy Young year in 1972, he had a 192 ERA, uh, 6.1 strikeout per nine, 2.2 walk per nine. That was the thing. He was a control specialist who induced weak contact. He sometimes led the leagues by uh, one time he led the league by having 41 games started and pitching 328 innings. It's just a completely different game in those days. What's fascinating about Gaylord Perry is we have to go back and talk about Sam McDowell, who he just traded for. Sudden Sam, uh, a guy who led the league in strikeouts per nine from 64 to 70 with just one year in 67 where he did not. Like striking out 10, over 10 per nine back when that was unheard of. Uh, He had his demons in life and they caught up to him. uh, And his career ended shortly after well not shortly i mean he pitched four more years but basically his last year in cleveland was his last high level performance i gotta talk about 1970 when sudden sam should have won the uh the cy young he didn't he lost to jim perry gaylord's brother who had been a guardians or i'm gonna use indian because that's what they were at the time he was an indians pitcher who uh got traded to the twins for jack Carolick, a lefty it was a very bad trade for cleveland in the long run but uh, the the winner, Jim Perry, would eventually come back to Cleveland to pitch with his brother. They both pitch in Cleveland's rotation. And the MVP that year, Boog Powell, I believe, uh, also would eventually end up in Cleveland. So both the 1970 Cy Young winner and MVP would come to Cleveland and, along with Gaylord Perry, clash so badly with Frank Robinson that all would be ended up shipped out of town. Uh, Perry came to Cleveland, as mentioned, for Sudden Sam McDowell. I went and did the research uh articles written at the time said that the giants tried to offer mcdowell for perry straight up uh cleveland insisted on the addition of frank duffy and while you might go and look at frank duffy and be like he had a 582 ops my goodness and a 68 uh you know ops plus he was maybe the best defensive shortstop in baseball during his time in cleveland in spite of that terrible offensive production uh, what we view now as terrible offensive production. It wasn't that bad at the time. And he was a, a, at least a two-win to three-win player, three being the high point for most of his run. So Cleveland got a solid, useful shortstop and then got the better pitcher. During that era, this was the rare win for Cleveland. Um, he was great. Gaylord Perry was fantastic. Not only was he the last Cy Young winner until CC Sabathia, but by the way, he was the last 20-game winner until Cliff Lee came around in 2008. That's That's how bad it was. And I'm what I'm 41 uh, as a kid who sat there and I've talked about it. I liked reading my Athlon guides. I liked, I had my almanac that yes, stayed near my bed. And I like to look at the list of the MVPs and Cy Young's and just never see Cleveland names in there. And Gaylord Prairie stood out for me for that reason. Like he was a guy who was there and you know, you went and you looked at the number and you saw that ERA under two and you're like, wow. Like as a kid in the era that I was in the late eighties, early nineties, 
uh, to mid nineties. It's he was a, a larger than life figure without even really knowing about him. Then you learn that like he might be the most notorious cheater in the history of the game. And yeah, I mean, he was the inspiration for, um, for that character in major league, the old pitcher who starts off the world series, not the world series, the game who's got like Vaseline hidden everywhere. Like that's the inspiration. And like, you can call him a cheater because like, I mean, he wrote books about how to cheat. Like he was known for this and it's, there is a degree of humor and irony and how mad people get about the hall of fame and the idea of putting steroid users in there. And yet, you know, we got Gaylord Perry who put it on front street that he was breaking the rules the whole time. Uh, unfortunately when he was treated out, it was not as good of a deal. I remembered the name Rick Waits. I didn't really remember performance. Uh, he was probably the best player they got in that deal. Uh, Jim Bibby was solid. They also got the equivalent of half a million dollars. And as I mentioned, uh, the Frank Robinson clashed with some of the other players there. When he got the position, and Frank Robinson was in an impossible position, the first ever African-American manager. Um, I mean, people were threatening to kill him. Uh, I found in some of the articles, I'm not going to repeat, not on anyone's life, some of the things that were being said on talk radio at the time, which I think you can imagine in the 1970s what people would have felt free saying. It was an impossible job on a not good team with a lot of vets, many of who weren't performing. So when Perry got shipped off, it was also the beginning. Sometimes Frank Robinson, I think, takes too big of a hit. This was not a great team. It had some good moments, the first good moments in a long time. And I think that is why there was some vilification. But uh, it started the new wave of uh, Dennis Eckersley, Rick Manning, all of them coming up. It was kind of that next wave of talent for Frank Robinson there. And like I said, unfortunately, when they shipped off Gaylord Perry, uh, they did not. They got two back end starters uh, and another pitcher and some money. He would leave Cleveland in 75. Nope, I got that wrong. And yeah, in 75, and he would still pitch until 1983. Uh, an amazing career. There's no other way you can put it. For a long time, him and his brother, uh, Jim, who did pitch together, I want to say that final year in Cleveland in 75 might have been in 74 uh they pitched together uh you know they were the most winning um brother combo in baseball until i feel like recently they got passed and i can't think by who i know i should know that but uh yeah um also like let's put it on front street you're not gonna see anyone named gaylord anytime soon like that is a name that is retired in time uh it, it, that never watched just, Meet the Parents, huh? No, well, yeah, I have, <laughs> but like, that's why it's never going to be used again. It's it's interesting, just like the rise and fall of names in general. But like, uh, the he was one of a kind. I mean, there's no other way around it. There's nobody like Gaylord Perry really in that Hall of Fame because typically when we talk about a cheater, we're vilifying them, we're not raising them up. But he became like the plucky cheater, like somehow, like I mean, it became part. And people maybe or get mad at me like calling him a cheater, but like he 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 wrote books, he did videos. I remember Saturday morning there was a baseball show. I couldn't tell you what it was in the '90s, but he's sitting there like showing you how how he would hide his Vaseline and <laughs> things like that. I remember watching a clip after he had retired, showing you how he would hide his Vaseline and things. And like, I mean, I guess it, we we get mad about the Astros, but the, you know when it's one dude somehow pulling it over on everyone else. It makes him a folk hero uh, in a way. So uh, yeah, I mean, he was, he was one of the best pitchers they had during the dark ages. He was one of the bright spots 
in the dark ages of, of Cleveland baseball and just take a moment to appreciate if you're talking about like the all seventies team for Cleveland, he's on it. Um, if you're talking about like from 1950 to 2000, he's probably still on that team. Like the, that ha- second half of the century, he's got to be one of the five starters on a Cleveland baseball team. So, and then, Oh, I did want to make one other note uh, just in terms of advanced statistics. That's a young year. Uh, he was worth 10.8 war. 10.8 war for one season. Just think about that. I I meant to do, you know, I did all that research, everything else I talked about. Uh, I meant to go look up like the Cleveland um, highest individual season war uh, amongst pitchers, just to see if that was the case. We will, uh, you know, I will, as we're discussing some things in our post-show segment here, uh, that's going to come up. So if you're listening on your car and you're mad, it's ending. Talk subscribe to people, to locked on, and then go subscribe, kick on to YouTube. But we're going to call that a show. If you're on YouTube, don't end. In about 30 seconds, we'll be back. But we're going to end the, the audio version here by saying thank you for tuning in. Uh, one final update here at the end. I will do a refresh. Well, first, rest in peace, Gaylord Perry, or rest in power. I kind of like that one nowadays. Uh, rest in power to Gaylord Perry, one of the greatest pitchers who pitched in my lifetime. Now, he didn't pitch in my lifetime for the Guardians, but he was still pitching when I was two. So he did stick around. So uh, rest in power to one of the greats. And we gained another one, 972. So go subscribe, and let's end this the way we do every show. Go, go, Guardians, go.